The future is now. Card Ladder is the fastest growing sports card app on the market. The best tools to help you track your cards, watch the trends, stay informed, compare cards, and track the growth of your personal collection. All in one simple and intuitive platform. Join the innovators, not the imitators. The best sports card app on the market. A stock market for sports cards. Card Ladder. Hey everyone, this is Josh back with Cardboard Chronicles. Today I'm joined by a very special guest, Dr. James Beckett. Jim, how's it going? I'm doing great, Josh. Glad to be here. Well, I'm really excited to have you on. Obviously a, a pillar of the hobby, very important to the history of the hobby, the the originator of the price guide and something that's very fond of me, obviously, as one of the creators of Card Ladder. So I, I look up to you greatly, Jim. So why don't you just, uh, why don't you start us off, tell us a little bit about yourself and your vast background in the hobby. Well, my hat's off to doers in the industry. I, I've been a doer, and you are too. Uh, I don't think if no one's ever done a price guide or done analytical, I mean, hard analytics within the industry, which you have and I have, they they don't get it. It's a lot more work than people think. And <laughs> it's also a team effort. I mean, I started out uh, with me, myself, and I, a really small team. But uh, as the team grew, I think the excellence grew with it. I, that's probably how you feel about card ladder. So I had a PhD in statistics, so that gave me, and I had some programming experience. And, and uh, so I, 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 I should have been, you know, Josh, I should have been daunted by the task in front, just as you should have been daunted by the task of trying to put something out like card ladder. But I thought I can do this. Uh, this is something that can be done. It's going to be difficult, but I can do it. Uh, what I didn't realize is it would turn into be a year-round project that as soon as you get done with one, you got to get start with the next one. So it's a never-ending story, never-ending battle, but it it's it's had a happy ending. And it's it's an ongoing story too. So very blessed to be at the right place at the right time. And probably, as you might say, uh, with the right tools. You know, I had I love sports and played as much as I can as a kid as a kid and collected heavily my dad had collected so just everything lined up and hit the ground running and i would say i never stopped but i did sell the company and kind of got my life back because it really was an awful lot of work and now i'm unretired but i'm doing a daily podcast so <laughs> anyway yeah yeah that's it. i think you've uh you've earned the right to uh to do what you want you know at this point if you want to i love that you're staying involved i think it's fantastic and having having our, you know, historical figures in the hobby still remain active is very important for us because I think, you know, you guys can teach us a lot in terms of where you see the market long-term instead of this short window that we're all looking at. So why don't you tell us what kind of motivated you to start with going into the card business from the beginning? Well, I mean, I started as a hobbyist. Uh, I didn't really, in the seventies, it wasn't a business. I mean, you, you were trying to fund your collecting habits and uh, collecting. I mean, actually I probably thought it was expensive back in those days. No, it wasn't expensive then, but it is expensive now. If you're trying to get everything the, the collectors back in the seventies, early seventies, especially they wanted, they wanted to get everything. They wanted to complete all the major sets. 
and, and some of them were more particular about condition than others, but that wasn't as big a deal. Superstars wasn't as big a deal. There, there, there weren't really rookie cards to speak of. So simpler days. And uh, I enjoyed the ride toward uh, greater complexity. I don't think I was making it more complex other than doing a comprehensive price guide. But, you know, people have always tried to look at, well, if this costs this, then maybe I'm going to buy this instead. So that's that's been for decades. And so that makes for interesting price structure, fluctuations, movements. So I I. Um, you know, was a serious collector. And then when I got done with my PhD and I was looking to not conquer the world, but just use it for something. I really Mm -hmm. thought after I'd done these scholarly papers and I got tenure at the university. So I I had a job for life, but I thought that's not as much fun as what I'm having these occasional weekends. I'm going these card shows and uh, card collectors are really pretty smart. I mean, you, 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 it helps to be smart because you, You've got to be aware of of uh, the values and the scarcities and the players and the sets and all the stuff. So, what's there's no better hobby out there. I, when I retired, Josh, what am I going to do? Find a better hobby? There is no better hobby. So, uh, yeah, I've enjoyed enjoyed the ride and the movement into business. I think, and this is what I tell people: is that if you tell me you're in business rather than asking you what your turnover is or your sales, it's how many employees do you have? That's the complexity of your business. And if you have zero employees, then you can still have a business. And that's my goal to have zero employees, including myself. But, um, you know, when you get a bunch of employees, which some of these businesses have in the industry now, it gets complicated pretty fast. And it's, it's that's when I, that's what I say when I started in the business aspect. When I was doing shows in the 70s, it was just me. I'd load up, you know, throw some boxes in the car. They didn't take up as much room then because you're really talking about cards from the 50s and earlier. But it was great fun. It was great fun. So I I was making money, but it wasn't business till I hired employees, I think. So the price guide was was really just you at at the start, right? Tell us about like the first price guide and how it sort of took off. Well, I had five guys ask me to do a price guide. And that that said, you really ought to do this. And none of them had the full vision, but each one of them had an aspect of it. But most of them, other than the last guy, Denny, uh, said, you ought to do a price guide and and I ought to split the profits with you. (laughs) How does that go again? I'm going to do all the work. (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, I'm going to, yeah, I'll. uh..." And Denny came up to me and he said, look. I know you can do this. I've we've I'd known him for a long time, you know, in the hobby. He had a great reputation. He said, "I have a distribution business." He said, "You're not the distributor guy. I can and I have all this uh, uh, typesetting equipment in my office, and I have this background." And, you know, I he said, "You make a list of all the things you think are required to to do a price guide, a, a book. A, a, this really would be a business." Make a list of all the steps that are required and then check off the steps that you want to do and then, you know, make another list of the things you don't want to do, can't do, don't mm-hmm. want to do, whatever. He said, I will do all the things you don't want to do. I will do them or get them done. And I have the ability to make it happen. I have a track record. I don't, uh, when I, my, my word is my bond. So I check it out. Yep. I mean, I'd known it from knowing him, but he, his word was his bond. And so we started a, uh, kind of quasi partnership, a division of labor for a number of years, 
he's passed away now, but, but that was, that got me, got me going. The other guys had great ideas. But I mean, uh, so much, again, going back to card ladder, there are a lot of people have had ideas and they yep. pontificate about what if something, and yeah, I could do this, but do it, do it. And then stand up to the criticism that you're not doing it the way somebody else who didn't do it thinks you ought to do it. So, so yep. yeah. So. That that rings very right I'm to sure. home, man. I mean, I, that's that's exactly how it started for us, and we definitely got criticism on do it this way, that way, and it was kind of like I must have missed your price guide where you were doing it that way. <laughs> you know, <laughs> tell tell me about like the the boom of the '90s with the price guide because I grew up in the '90s, and I just have very fond nostalgic memories of Beckett magazine and and you know going to the grocery store and picking up the newest uh, issue. What was it like during that time for for you and, and the business? I guess. Well, uh, let's break it up into three three pieces. Um, one is the uh, the uh, the '90s before '94, before the baseball strike. Yep. Okay, it was insane. Okay, I mean, people can say, "Oh, it's junk wax." Well, junk wax means there was a lot of product; it was being sold and being bought and put in garages. A lot of it, but it was hectic. Our circulation was super strong. We were going great. You know, we. We, we weren't, a PSA was doing grading. We weren't even thinking about doing grading because we had our hands full with all these different price guides. All the price guides were doing great. Big six-figure circulations of all of them, paid circulation, you know, great sell-throughs and all that stuff. Baseball strike hits. Mm, that kind of chopped the baseball magazine in half overnight. Mm. So that was a that was a blow. We were still profitable, obviously, but but it was like, what I always say, and you talk about me being the voice of reason or the the sage, the older guy, but there are no sure things in this hobby. You know, here's the trend line. Well, there's no trend line that takes into account the baseball strike. Okay. So now mm-hmm. you have a baseball strike, which made it, um, which took some of the fun out of it because, you know, you were on this rocket ship and that was like, Oh, wait a minute. I guess there are no sure things. And then we were really, at that point, we really were in a business. But more importantly, the card companies were in, it, it no longer was order taking. Now, what you see in the late 90s, so this is the, so the third epoch or era, there's the early 90s before the strike, there's the strike. Then after mm-hmm. the strike, it's not been mentioned that much, but it's, it's one of the eras of greatest creativity within the production of cards, bar none. I mean, I can't think of anything. The late 90s, the 96, 97, 98 period after the strike with, uh, and it's not just basketball, basketball, is, but all the sports had this kind of renaissance of design in the case hits that um, I look back in the price guides then. And I think, gee, that seems really cheap. Well, they weren't being sold. They, mm-hmm. they weren't. And when people got those cards, they knew they were rare. They weren't putting them up for, if they were putting them for resale, they, they didn't have the audacity to charge what they would have been worth. Okay. So the, so, so the late nineties were kind of a golden age of insert cards and parallel cards, which we've seen in the, which is fueled. Uh, it's a big part on the, of, uh, of the fuel of the, of the modern hobby of these outrageous prices. And so that's the nineties to me. Okay. And yet those companies for the most part went out of business because that formula was ahead of its time. Okay. Yeah, and we have we have that stuff now 
to enjoy it even more because it was such a short period and it wasn't like produced overly produced for 10, 15 years. We ha- we can just kind of look back on it now and it's gained value. Did you see my interview with uh, Gene Arena? Uh, I didn't see it, but I listened to it. Well, actually, I've listened. It's either yours. Or- I've listened to several with the the arenas. They're, yeah, so that's like that's they're the, the they're the the, main, era, yeah. the, the 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 inspiration and and the design. Yep. Uh, but the, that magnificent, <laughs> it's just unbelievable. I mean, the scarcity is one thing, and they and they're they're legit scarcity. They weren't contrived; they were intended to be case hits. Yeah. But go looking for them. You couldn't find them then. You can't find them now. You can find them now now because the the price has driven some amount. But I may have listened to yours, Josh. I don't know. I I you're not uh, you're more YouTube than podcast, aren't you? In fact, lately it's, you're doing it's car both. Lab. Yeah, I put it on both. But I mean, I'm just thinking like yourself and and the arenas. It's just like the the mecca of of that era for me. It's like Beckett magazines and inserts and parallels. You guys like. How did you guys price some of that stuff, knowing that it was like a new thing? And, you know, how did you go through and try to price it? As much as possible. And one thing I appreciate about Card Ladder, it's, I think Card Ladder is, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's 100% empirical. Uh, there's some like predicted stuff in there. I know, but like that's mentioned as predicted, but even the predictions are based on empirical data. There's no, yeah, there's no, yeah. The problem is you can't have a formula when you're doing a price guide. And we did, um, you know, after my heart attack, after I kind of stepped upstairs in the, in the price guide, the guys Mm -hmm. really decided to not price things uh, explicitly. that were so scarce, less than 25, let's say, uh, because they were just, there, there wasn't enough data. And that hasn't bothered card ladder because when, you know, one sale is one sale and it's worthy of being reported. And we did report those, but to put in an explicit, this is the price. We didn't do that. And so I, I think when we were doing um, price guides in the late nineties, let's say mid, mid late nineties, you know, the, this 97 period, for example, uh, as best as we could, we had the ratios of what was in, but when you didn't see, or if you saw one and you saw what it went for, you had to, you know, we don't want to interpolate or extrapolate, but, you know, we were being asked to come up with a price for all the stuff and we did the best we could. So we're using every bit of it, of, uh, of um, empirical data we could get our hands on. Again, eBay was not as big a thing then. We were at all the card shows, not all the card shows, but we were at card shows every weekend on both coasts and in the Midwest. So we had 19 guys on our price guide team and somebody was traveling, you know, to the West coast, East coast, Midwest every weekend. Uh, and then we had all these dealer reps, you know, talking to the dealers and stuff like that. So, um, but hard to verify, you know, another thing card ladders trying to do is put a, a level of verification. We did too. We, we didn't, couldn't just take somebody when we were at a card show and somebody say, yeah, I've been selling these all day long. It, at such and such. Then we go look at their table. Wait, it's still sitting there at this price. That's lower <laughs> than what you're saying. Can't, can't be true. And so we, we try to verify just as you are, but we have uh, it easy. We just get to, we get to verify online sales and through these big companies, you had to like, you were out in the, out in the, in the field trying to do this stuff. That sounds a lot more challenging. Well, it, was it was expensive. It, it wasn't, yeah. uh, uh, you know, and again, I just, uh, again, very uh, fortunate 
And again, prices weren't moving every day. And we had great relationships with dealers. Uh, you know, the, some of the guys, by having such a big price guide team, they, the, many of them had worked in card shops and had a lot of experience. They had their own network of knowing who, who's trustworthy and who's not. It's just, actually, I shouldn't say it. Who's, who's what degrees of trust. <laughs> it's hard to get people to, to accurately grade their own card or accurately mm-hmm. say what their own card is worth because it's aspirational. Yeah. What about uh, Beckett grading? Why don't you jump into that just a little bit? Maybe talk about what 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 made you guys want to start getting into the grading business and how that came about. Well, I actually didn't jump into it. Uh, they, I let them jump into it. They, my team, I've, I've kind of said this. I mean, I basically had a great team and I keep talking about how great they are. Well, how come I was the hard head that waited more than a year to jump into grading. Uh, I think there were some, there were perceived conflicts of interest, which I think are, are blown out of mm. proportion. We, we, we always were taking into account the grade. We, all the guys were out doing the price guides they had when they saw a card and it wasn't, like I said, they're at the show, it didn't sell. Well, if it's a VG condition, you know, then, you know, of course it's not going to be the same price as X mint or near mint mint. So so we were always grading cards, and um, we we started grading with some of the price guide guys who said, let us do the feasibility study to show that we can do this. And so, and I just thought, these are some of my very best guys. I mean, I, what, what, what do I need? So I think I was the holdup. And so mm-hmm. when we jumped in, it, it, it may have sounded like we just jumped in. But we'd been percolating and doing things behind the scenes for more than a year as my really strong team. And some of my strongest guys were saying, we got to do this. And I'd say, well, what about this? And they go back away. They come back with the answer to that. And so we jumped in. We were able to jump in with uh, a slab that had been patented, uh, a, a, an algorithm for the grades, and, uh, and some idea of how to price it in a way that was different than PSA. You know, I, I delight in being the market leader. I delight in being the prime mover, the first mover, uh, but in grading, we weren't. So I was absolutely not going to be a me too grading service. We were going to bring some innovation to it and try to uh, compete strongly with, uh, with uh, an entrenched market leader that had a, a big lead on us and had an amazing registry that we we never have caught up on with on the vintage cards, as I said. One of the things, the editorial we. <laughs> one of the yeah, one of the things that I've always admired about the company Beckett and yourself is that you you guys seem to do a little bit of everything. You know, a lot of companies are specializing, especially at that time and and today. Even and you guys were doing grading, you're doing price guides, you're doing media. Was that? something that you intended to do when you started the business to kind of expand and grow? Cause I mean, this is something that, that we think about with card ladder is like, do we want to be specialized in this lane or do we do we want to try to expand? I, uh, I mean, you're putting a good spin on it, Josh, cause you know, I had a heart attack in 96. So that's another thing about the nineties, the early nineties, chunk wax, baseball strike. I get a heart attack, late nineties, golden age of, of, of inserts and all that going on, I just, at some point, probably after my heart attack, I thought, you know what, this is too Jim-centric, too Dr. Beckett-centric. 
you know, my name's on the company, but we had not, we had a hundred and, you know, less than 200. We never had more than 200 employees. Mm-hmm. So we had a bunch of really strong people. And I thought, you know, I kind of need to get out of their way. And so you're bringing it up in a very favorable way of all these things that we did that are still being uh, appreciated and doing well. But we did a bunch of things that didn't work or worked mm-hmm. for a while. And we we dabbled in a bunch of things. And again, it was probably me being, uh, I think in the hobby, you're mentioning most of the hobby things that did work because I still understood those things and I could provide vision and direction and, and, and know what's crazy and what, what was doable. But we got into some non-sport stuff. Some of it worked really well, but some of it was a big failure. So we weren't hundred percent. I just know that people, people say, collect what you like, but it's almost get involved in business that you like or do things that you understand if you don't understand something. So when I got, when my team, my excellent team encouraged me to do things that I didn't really understand, I should have said no. Okay. I didn't say no originally to grading because I didn't understand it. I did understand it. And I just thought, I'm not quite ready for that. You know, let's make sure we get out there and do it right. And we did, I think we did. But there were some non-sport things we did. I didn't, I, I still don't understand it. It didn't work. We lost money. Again, made a lot of money on certain things, but you know, I'm not, you know, people talk about, you know, if you hit you know 300, 330 or something, you 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 win the batting championship, you're bat 400, you're a legend. But in business, you bat 400, you're losing a lot more than you're than you're winning. And so I want to bat 90%. <laughs> Uh, and we did bat 90% in the industry on a lot of the things. Non-sport. Well, you're, you're being, you're being pretty humble about it, but I think the legacy that you've, that you've placed on, you know, not just for yourself, but in the hobby, I think is extraordinary. So I, I do want to commend you on all of that and, you know, don't sell yourself too short on some of those things because, you know, I think part of being a good leader is, is, you know, inspiring others to, to continue to do work around you and also letting them do that work, right? It's not about like you doing everything. It's having a good team and being a leader, right? Well, it helps. I mean, again, just hit, I just, there's, I, I can just say, here are the people that used to work for me and they're sprinkled in leadership positions around the industry and they're, they're, they're mostly guys, you know, it's not, but, you know, we had a lot of, a lot of outstanding women too, but in the public eye, we're mostly the guys. Yeah. I'll change it up a little bit. Why don't you tell me what you collect? Tell us maybe what you started collecting, how it's evolved, where you're at today. I'm trying to collect uh, less, but I think my collecting over the years has gotten more local uh, in the sense that, you know, I have my wall of fame and I'm trying to add players to that, that uh, emerge in the, in the public consciousness as well as in the local consciousness, five friends that are in this area. Somebody went to high school in our, in the area. I'm going to, I'll put a card up on the wall. And so when people come by, I'm I'm trying to have something for advanced collectors as well as something for people that are not, uh, they don't even know about how they, they, if you, and again, I don't know if you have binoculars but if you see my wall of fame i mean if there are people with sharp eyes you know adam gray so wait a minute you got jerry sloan <laughs> uh and then adam that's not just for you but you know it's uh you know they, they there could be a card 
a $5 card right next to a $500 card. And a non-collector has no idea which is which. They mm-hmm. say, oh, that's, that's interesting. And so it's become, so I've had to figure out, I, I think I'm going to have some advanced collectors come over and look or, or that I'll do pictures or whatever. But I'm going to have non-collectors too, and they're they're enamored. It's 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 a it's a sports art. It's sports art. You know, yeah, Satchel totally. Page is is right next to my right ear. The fifty three tops, if you can see it there. Uh, you know, that's that's an artistic uh, rendition in fifty three with a, of an American icon. You know, and people are drawn to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, four spaces, six spaces uh, from my left ear is is uh, Bruno Sammartino, the wrestler, <laughs> and below him is a, a green PMG Barry Sanders. Yep. So there's something for that. everybody. And yep. then way I down, see a, gem- I see a jambalaya. Is, and there's a jo- there's a couple of jambalayas there. Uh, one is that shack, and then the. Uh, wait a minute. There's no that. That's uh, yeah. That's Jermaine O'Neal, then Shaq, then Paul O'Neal. This is all alphabetical order. And then below that, oh, go down way down at the bottom. There's a Scottie Pippen, mm-hmm. uh, Jambalaya. Can't remember which year. Ninety-seven, ninety-eight. Right. Uh, and he's just two spaces over from Roddy Roddy Piper. <laughs> so it's a little bit of everything. You're not you're not doing one yeah, thing. That's for sure. Bob Pettit. So. So I'm having fun with that. And so I'll, I, and I have these uh, things that I can, I can pop out something and, and put in uh, another one. So rotating, but my goal is to have less cards every year. Hmm. Cause I, I, I just, I, I don't want to, I don't want to burden my heirs, my, my awesome wife, especially with a huge collection, you know, so I, I'm trying to, you know, the stuff, but I'll, I'll probably keep the wall and, um, but some of the boxes of cards that I don't need, I'll, you know, I, I'm not trying to be squeezing the last dollar out of it, but there's certain things you just have to grade. It makes no yeah. sense not to grade. Um, but I'm not, you know, when I look at card letter, I think, you know, I don't, I don't want to enter my collection in the card ladder and, and figure out whether it's going up in value. It's, it's not about that for me. I mean, I, I'm yeah. obviously into the cards for a lot less than what they're worth now. And I'm, you know, selling off stuff that I, that I don't, that I no longer, I mean, I have too many cards to look at. So. Yeah. It's I mean, that was the, it was in vogue back in the day. People didn't try to have small collections. They were elite. They tried to have complete sets and things like that. Well, I've, gotten rid of most of the complete sets because they take up a lot of room and and I got rid of a lot of them before I started the price guides because it just I didn't just didn't have room. Yeah. So what's your take then on the current state of the hobby? You can you can take that question wherever you want, whether it's pricing or the industry, how it's growing or you know wherever you want to go with it. Well I'm excited uh because when you see what's going on with all the money that's coming into the hobby and not just into the, into the, into the cards themselves, but into the infrastructure, mm-hmm. you know, Biden's talking about infrastructure deal and uh, Republicans and Democrats have a different opinion of what infrastructure means. But when we apply the infrastructure word to the hobby, again, people could have different 
but no one can doubt there's a lot of money coming into the infrastructure of the hobby, which are apps, which is uh, uh, technologies, uh, trading systems, uh, fractionals, almost like mini stock markets. Uh, so, Josh, I'm hard pressed to see how that's not good. That yeah. people are having more ways to collect and more access to, as as we said back in in '97, you couldn't even see uh, a Michael Jordan PMG card, much less have one. And so now it's a question. Really, the question's going to be, how much of a percent do you want to own of one in order to be able to not be embarrassed about bragging rights that I own one percent <laughs> of a million dollar card? Right. It's $10,000, but I own 1%. Do I get to brag that I own 1%? Well, if I had 1,000 shares or 100 shares of Apple, I could brag I've got this many shares of Tesla or Google or Apple. Uh, people are, you wouldn't even say that. You say I own shares of Tesla. Oh, hey, that's good. Two shares maybe, though. <laughs> right. Or Berkshire Hathaway, if you're an old guy. <laughs> yeah. Do you think so it's going to keep growing? Right. So you think you think you think it's good? You think it's going to keep growing? Well, I think it's not good that it's growing so fast. It's mm. good that it's growing. No, I don't want it. when it grows too fast. Um, basically, you know, one of the challenges you have with card ladder is that there, there are occasional outliers, and if the outlier becomes the market, then it's well, the market will eventually correct, but correction. It's not a crash. It's just a correction. There are too many alternatives in this industry. Too many. Yeah. They're like micro bubbles or something. If something gets perceived to be too expensive, people are going to say, well, I'm, and I, I don't think it's all of basketball or all of soccer or anything. In fact, your, 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 uh, your technology, y'all's technology really allows you to point to individual cards that may be undervalued. Mm -hmm. And uh, so as long as that's going on, that's the, that's the safeguard. That's the safeguard. If something's overvalued, then something else will be undervalued. Uh, so I'm, I'm, but I, I'm not at a point where I want to be just touting that everything is great and it's going to keep going up forever because there, there have to be adjustments. And like I said, the, 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 the herd goes one direction until it doesn't. And when it doesn't, then you're, you you better be able to pivot. And right. I, I know a lot of veteran collectors that are my age, that if the values dropped in half overnight, they wouldn't lose a lot of sleep over it. Yeah. They think, well, it's, already, it's still more than what I paid for it. But if you bought yesterday yeah. and tomorrow is down, then you're... So I, I don't, I'm not sure it's a good hobby for day trading. It is now in this bull market, but but that's that's not... There are not many collectible things the true collectors, I think, are not flippers. You know, you be a collector and an investor, but if you're a collector and a flipper and you have no emotional connection to any card or, or the cards that you're picking up, well, then it's, it's, it's commoditized. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I hope it. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see just a gentle rise, you know, that's more than inflation. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't work that way. There's asymmetric rewards you could lose a little and you could make a lot and people love those kind of bets yeah. that's wise advice um well i'll leave it with this last question do you have any advice for a fellow sports card price guide creator oh uh, um 
Yeah, I mean, I think what you've done with Card Ladder is is extremely admirable, and um, I basically need to would need to take a lot more time to uh, to answer that question, and I'm happy to do that. But I think I would it, it might bore the non techie people that are that are listening. <laughs> but I like what you've done, which I don't feel like I had the luxury to do a, an incremental, uh, iterative uh, approach to adding cards. I felt like I had, and that first price guide took about a year to, well, about nine months to get to get everything put together with the checklist and all the cards and all the pricing. What you've done with adding cards, not sporadically, let's say systematically, mm-hmm. um, is a good way to do it because you're you're like I said because you're doing full I think it's fully empirical, so you've got to make sure you're going to be able to to uh, to uh, to do it right. So and you're I think you're you, I didn't I didn't have to be responsive to individual critics in one sense. <laughs> you're having people write in and tell you you need to do this guy in this condition in this set, and with me I was just saying. I plan to do all the guys in all the sets in all the years uh, eventually. And, and, and we're going to add sets and play as we go. But so the, I didn't get that complaint, uh, but I'm sure you do. And it's, it's a shame because I think you're trying to build uh, from a foundation of strength and, and that solid foundation allows you to, to expand. And the more data you have, the more it's, it's um, they're kind of network effects. You know, not just in the user base, but in the the ability to the more cards you're tracking, the better your ratios can be. Yep. So yeah, it's just going to get smarter over time. That's good work. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, I those were those there weren't uh, there the, all the automation and and uh, personal computers were kind of just coming in when I started. It makes me sad. but I did my own programming, you know, which is I'm sure way lower than you and. Tim Getch and those guys, but but it was good enough to get started. And then when I added people, the next iteration, I added some people that really had that 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 skill that they were fully trained for that. A little bit of a jack of all trades. So, well, I really appreciate your time today, Jim. This is great. Uh, look forward to chatting again in the future, and hopefully, we can uh, we can do it again. Uh, pleasure's all mine, Josh. Keep up the good work, and look forward to seeing how. Uh, Card ladder is going to continue to blossom. All right. Thanks, man.